Good morning. Sorry to inter interfere with your great conversations, but we do need to move on. If, um, first of all, um, if you're new, um, welcome. My name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and as always, thank you for dedicating this part of your Sunday um, to gathering with us. Um, this Sunday, we also have some special peeps here with us. I'm just trying to be cool. We have um, some of the youth from Reality Ventura with us this morning. If um, some of you are King's Cross, are like, really, Ventura, um, what church is that? Um, you, most of you probably know Tim Chaddick. Um, he's the, one of the pastors there. And I was actually in Ventura last week, um, hanging out and preaching there. So love having you guys here. Thank you for coming. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed time here in America's finest city. I know Ventura's awesome, but... San Diego's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Thank you. All right, we've been in a, series, in a series based on the book of Galatians, and so grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians. This week, we are in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Um, and, it's, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through, and 10, 10, 10 through to 14. Um, and as always, as is our custom, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through to 14 reads, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for a lot of things. But this morning, as we reflect more on the gospel and what it means for us to be truly justified, I pray and ask that everything we are exposed to would transform us, make us more like Jesus, and enable us to live the lives you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a seat. So last week, um, what we did was we looked at Galatians, the first nine verses of Galatians. And in those nine verses, the Apostle Paul, what he does is he powerfully reminds the Galatians 
of the importance of faith. He asks them not to forget their own experience, pointing out that they received the Spirit, not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. And so he used Abraham as an example, and he used Abraham as an example to reinforce that it is faith, not works, that brings righteousness. This week, we're going to continue to study Paul's train of thought on law and faith. And what we'll see is that Paul will address the dangerous trap of legalism and emphasize the redemptive work of Christ in freeing us from the curse of the law. Now, we've been in the series um, based on Galatians for several weeks now, and most of you probably read Galatians before. Some of you may be here, I don't know, may have written a commentary on Galatians. I don't know. You never know who's here. Um, very familiar with it. And as we've covered the content, you're like, yes, you know, I've heard about justification and grace and law and faith and everything. Um, and so you're very familiar with it. But this morning, what I want you to do, and I've tried to encourage most of you throughout this series, is to be praying. To be praying that the truths that you're also familiar with wouldn't become new truths, like, oh, this is new, but that God would show you and really take them and sink them deep into your soul um, so that you are strengthened and encouraged. Let's look at the first thing we learned from this passage this morning. The first thing we learn is that the curse uh, the, of legalism. We learn about the curse of legalism. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law uh, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The very first thing we're told here is that anyone who relies on the works of the law is under a curse. Let's keep in mind that the content we're studying this morning is part of a letter um, commonly known as Galatians. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul um, to Jewish Christians who lived like around, what, 2,000 years ago in an ancient region in Asia Minor called Galatia. At the time of writing, many of these Christians living in Galatia, they were struggling spiritually not because of persecution or anything like that, but because um, there was a teaching among the churches of Galatia which was so destructive and so dishonoring to God that it merited a divine curse. This teaching was from a group of people known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were these false teachers who went around teaching that non-Jewish Christians needed to observe Jewish laws, especially circumcision, in order to be truly saved. Basically, what they were doing was adding to the gospel. They were essentially teaching that the gospel plus works of the law, good works, is how someone can be truly saved. This is exactly what Paul is referring to 
when he mentions works of the law. It's basically works-based salvation. King's Cross Church, beware of modern-day Judaizers. They haven't gone away. They still exist, but in different forms. Be vigilant against any teaching or belief that diverts from the simple truth of salvation by faith in Christ alone. Be vigilant against the New Age movement that teaches that salvation or enlightenment is achieved through self-effort, meditation, or acquiring secret knowledge. Be vigilant of any belief or teaching that diverts from the truth, the simple truth that we are saved and justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone. And according to Scripture, any teaching or belief that diverts from the simple truth of salvation by Christ, by faith in Christ alone, comes with major consequences. And so what are the consequences of seeking salvation through works? Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All who rely on works of the law for salvation are under what? A curse. I was born in Ghana, West Africa, and I moved to England when I was six, seven years old. I'm of African descent. And what that means is that I am very familiar with the term curse. It was a familiar word often used in the African culture I grew up in. And this is because if you are African, and we have some Africans in here, okay, like witchcraft and the occult and all of those things are, are, are like an ingrained part of our culture. And so to me, whenever I hear the word curse, it evokes images of witch doctors casting spells that are intended to bring harm or punishment to someone or something. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word curse. Maybe when you hear the word curse, you, you, you know, it takes you back to scenes from movies like Harry Potter, Narnia, maybe Lord of the Rings, Halloween. We're in the season of Halloween. Halloween is next Tuesday, right? Next Tuesday. Um, and I remember vaguely when I first got to England... I was six, seven years old, and I kind of grew up. And obviously, Halloween's huge in England. And in England, Halloween's just really dark. Like, people aren't dressing like superheroes. 
People aren't dressing like colorful, you know, fancy stuff. Like they dress like, like, dem like witches and everything. And I remember seeing people walking around, and dressing and celebrating, um, kind of the occult during Halloween. And I was like, my goodness, <laughs> this is crazy. What are people doing? I still think that now. And so in our culture, whenever we hear the word curse, most people just think of movies. It's kind of like fantasy. It's not really real. However, the kind of curse mentioned here in verse 10 does have similarities to how most people view curse, but it's also very different. In fact, the word curse here is the most severe kind of curse any human can endure. And so what kind of curse is this? Okay, The curse Paul refers to here is drawn from the Old Testament, where blessings were promised for obedience and curses were resulted in disobedience. And so to be under a curse here means to be in a state of spiritual distress, disconnected from God's favor and blessings as a result of disobedience. And so in verse 10, when Paul uses the term under a curse, he's conveying the consequence of relying on one's own ability to keep the entirety of the law for salvation. In essence, anyone who tries to achieve salvation through their own efforts is under a curse. That is, they are in a, they are in a state of spiritual distress disconnected from God's favor and blessings. And the reason anyone who tries to achieve salvation through works of the law is under a curse is because it's impossible to perfectly obey the law. That is why Paul goes on to say, verse 10 again, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. The book of the law is a reference to the Mosaic law, which is found in the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic law basically instructed the Israelites on how they should live and how they should worship and honor God. And Paul quotes it to underscore the fact that perfect adherence to the law is a feat beyond our reach. Trying anyone trying to perfectly follow God's law, it's like trying to walk a tightrope without wobbling. It's impossible. And so the idea here is that if one seeks to be justified by the law, then the expectation is that one must keep the entire law perfectly. And since no human 
apart from Christ, can keep the law perfectly. All who rely on it for salvation are placed under a curse, as in they're in a state of spiritual distress, disconnected from God's favor and blessings. This is what it means to be under a curse. John Piper says this in summarizing this. He says, so when verse 10 says that those who rely on works of the law are under a curse, it means that they are without the Holy Spirit. We're going to cover that later. And that means that they are cut off from God and that his wrath abides on them. This was true then, and it's absolutely true now. Legalism is the belief that performance and adherence to certain rules rather than faith in the redemptive work of Christ is what makes you righteous before God. And to embrace legalism is to be under a curse of separation from God's favor and blessings. In other words, anyone who is relying on anyone or anything other than Christ to make them right before God is under a curse. And essentially, to rely on works of the law for salvation is ultimately a rejection of Christ. And so I want you to start thinking about some things with these questions. How might, how might you unintentionally be placing your trust in your own actions or behaviors rather than in the completed work of Christ? In what areas of your lives? Might you be setting up personal laws or standards that you believe make you more favorable in God's eyes? If someone were to observe your life and priorities, would they conclude that your righteousness is based on performance or solely on your trust in Christ's redemptive work? And so from this passage, we've learned that the curse, about the curse of legalism. Next, we're going to learn about the significance of faith. Two weeks ago, we did a, like this in-depth study of the word justified. And we came to understand that justified was a courtroom term that meant to declare someone righteous. And so within Christianity, justification is basically when God takes a sinner who is in willful rebellion, deserving only of a guilty verdict, and says to them, you are not guilty. To be justified is to be made right, to be fully loved and accepted before God. To be justified is to be made right, to be fully loved, to be fully accepted by the God of all creation. And some of you here this morning, many of you here this morning, are living in this reality. You have been justified by the one true God of the Bible. It's a simple truth but pray that it 
becomes so real to you, it shapes everything in your life. In verse 10, Paul says that if you rely on the law for justification, you will remain under a curse because no one can keep the law perfectly. However, Paul doesn't just leave us hanging. What he does next is he highlights, he highlights this tough reality. And then in verse 11, he quotes again from the Old Testament to begin to reveal to us how a person can be truly justified. If justification is impossible with the law, then what makes it possible for someone to be made right before God? Look at verse 11. Now, it is evident, Paul says, that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, no one can be justified before God by the law, but everyone can be justified before God by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so this phrase, most of you are familiar with it, the righteous shall live by faith, it's not original to the Apostle Paul. In fact, he's quoting um, an old school Jewish prophet named Habakkuk, and this quote is found in Habakkuk 2. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know it by heart. You probably kind of know the whole idea of the righteous shall live by faith. But the question I want us to explore next is, what does this actually mean, that the righteous shall live by faith? What does faith mean? Along with grace, mercy, and love, the word faith has to be one of the most used within Christianity. For example, whenever someone is going through a challenging season, all right, it's likely that a friend will tell them to what? Have faith. Have faith, brother. <laughs> that was a bad American accent. <laughs> Why did I do that? <laughs> Have faith, brother. <laughs> person might be told that if they just had enough faith, they wouldn't be sick or they wouldn't be struggling financially. I've heard that before. Some Christians think of faith as accepting something without any evidence or reasoning. Faith is all you need, sister. Thank you. <laughs> Others will go as far as to conclude that one's issues and adversities are because of their lack of faith. And so you've heard it. The reason why you are not having victory over this particular sin is because you lack faith. You don't have enough faith. Some of these views are not entirely wrong, but some of them are definitely wrong. And so what is faith? Most importantly, what is the faith being talked about here in this verse? Faith comes from the Greek word pistis. 
Pistis can be translated as faith, trust, belief, or assurance. In non-religious Greco-Roman context, pistis was often used for trustworthiness, reliability, or assurance in interpersonal and business dealings. Some Hellenistic philosophers used the term to discuss belief or conviction in the unseen and unknown. In the Bible, faith often refers to trust or confidence in God and his promises. And so here in this verse, Paul uses pistis to drive home the truth that righteousness before God doesn't come from obeying the law, but it comes through faith alone, in Christ alone. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And so Paul here is using another Old Testament quotation. And what he does, he presents a clear antithesis between justification by the law and justification by faith. Don Anderson says this. In other words, you do not mix the two together. They are opposites, just like oil and water. Even if a man kept all the law, the righteousness that he would have would be inferior because it would be his own. Whereas Paul's gospel offers the righteousness of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, do you want to be made right before God? Do you want to be justified? Then faith that is anchored in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ rather than adherence to religious rituals or laws is what makes you right before God. And faith doesn't just make you right before God. It's a gift that also is the only way of escape from the curse of separation from God and his favor and his blessings. And so when Paul says the righteous shall live by faith, in this context, he's speaking of a profound trust and reliance on the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ for a person's justification and salvation. Think about it. Faith, Christianity, gospel-wise, it's not about this blind belief, but it's about trusting, a trusting relationship with Jesus and recognizing him as the only source of true righteousness and salvation. And if you are a Christian and you are here, you're like, this is awesome. This is good news. Thank God that my rightness before God doesn't depend on me. I'm very happy about that. It's good news to the Christian. But to many in our contemporary culture, the claim that the only way to be accepted and eternally loved by the God of all creation is by faith alone in Christ alone is kind of controversial, isn't it? In a pluralistic society where multiple religions and worldviews coexist, you've seen those stickers, the claim 
that there is only one way to be accepted by God can be perceived as what? Exclusive and intolerant. Many believe that there are multiple paths to God. And so if you come along and say, no, there are not multiple paths to God, not many paths, go up the mountain to God, someone will look at you and say, look, you are being arrogant and you are being misguided. Also, many people in our culture embrace the idea that the truth, that truth is relative and subjective. <laughs> From this perspective, the idea uh, that there's an absolute truth or one correct belief system can be seen as, again, arrogant. Who do you think you are? And so, Christian, if you believe that the only way to be accepted and eternally loved by the God of all creation is by faith alone in Christ alone, you'll probably be accused of being exclusive, intolerant, arrogant, or misguided. And some of you have experienced all of this. Yet, dear... Believer, I want you to take heart. Throughout history, followers of Jesus have faced opposition. They've faced, faced misunderstanding and even persecution for what they believe. Though what you believe and live by may be countercultural. It is rooted in the profound love and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so stand firm. Know that the truth that you believe and embrace has the power to transform hearts and lives. And so in the face of doubt or criticism, cling to the assurance that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 8. And so, so far we've seen and learned about the curse of legalism. We've learned about the significance of faith. And lastly, we're going to take a look at the surprising work of Christ. The surprising work of Christ. So far in this part of the letter um, to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul has passionately made a case. He's made a case that the only way to be delivered from the curse of the law and justified before God is by faith alone through Christ alone. Now... What he's about to do is to pull back the curtain and reveal how exactly Jesus has made it possible for us to be justified by faith in him. And so he does this from verse 13. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Slavery was was a pervasive institution in the first century Greco-Roman culture. Slaves were bought, sold, and owned, and they were considered the property of their owners. There were times when a slave was freed, and the Greek word for redeemed which is, in this verse, which is exagorazo, was used whenever a slave was freed. To redeem a slave was to purchase that slave's freedom. And this often involved paying a price or a ransom. And when a slave was redeemed, He or she was no longer bound to the rules and expectations of their slaves, of their past life. And so here, when Paul declares that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, he is saying that if you are a Christian, you are no longer bound to the rules and expectations of the law. And this is good news because while the law is good and not evil, it becomes a curse because of our inability to obey it perfectly. But Christ has redeemed us from the judgment and punishment that comes from our inability to fully and perfectly obey the law. And so how did Jesus do this? Look at verse 13 again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This statement right here, let me tell you, would have absolutely shocked the original recipients of this letter. This is why. Because back then, saviors didn't normally save by sacrificing themselves. Notice that Jesus is referred to here as Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name, FYI. It was a title And it's a title derived from the Greek word Christos, which translates to the Hebrew Messiah. Both Christos and Messiah mean anointed one. And many Jews then, and even now, what they were doing was they were looking forward to this coming ultimate anointed one. 
And the prevailing expectation amongst Jews back then was that the Messiah would be this divinely appointed figure who would lead, redeem, and triumph over Israel's enemies. And so by referring to Jesus as the Christ, Paul was not only declaring that Jesus was the promised Messiah, but instead of Jesus being this, um, the Christ being this victorious military leader, Paul mentions that the Messiah would be a suffering servant who would take the curse of sin on himself. Unbelievable. The idea that the Messiah would instead become a curse by being hung on a tree was counterintuitive and shocking. Never in a million years, right, would the Jews have entertained the thought that the Christ would redeem by laying down his own life? No way. No way. Doesn't make sense, they would say. The cross of Christ turned expectations upside down. By becoming a curse, Christ redeems believers from the curse of the law. This was a radical redefinition of victory and redemption, one achieved not through military might, but through sacrificial love. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There are many benefits to being a disciple of Jesus. And Paul reveals some of them here in this verse. If you are here and you have been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, then first you're a recipient of the blessing of Abraham. What does this mean? Briefly, what it means is that in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham and God ensured him that through Abraham's lineage, all nations on earth would be blessed. Here, Paul emphasizes that the blessing promised to um, Abraham extends beyond the physical descendants of Abraham, the Jews, to include Gentiles, non-Jews. And this blessing is made available through faith in Christ who fulfilled the law and bore its curse on our behalf. Not only that, but all believers receive what? The Holy Spirit as a guarantee of their inheritance in Christ. Christian you not only, you have received God's Spirit, and God's Spirit dwells within you. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, Edmund, 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 betrays his siblings to the white witch. He is seduced by promises of power and enchanted by treats. Turkish delight. Turkish delight. Because of his betrayal, 
the witch says she has the right to end his life based on some ancient rules of Narnia, the deep magic written on the stone table. But if you remember, Aslan, the lion, the true king of Narnia, he offers himself in Edmund's place to satisfy the demands of the deep magic. The white witch, seeing a chance to get rid of her biggest threat, she agrees. Aslan surrenders to the white witch, and the white witch and her minions, they capture Aslan, they bind him, mock him, and kill him on the stone table. However, the following dawn, the stone table cracks and Aslan is resurrected. What he does next, I love this scene. He meets Susan, right, and Lucy, right? And I love that scene, just this big Aslan, and he looks majestic and beautiful and breathes on them. And I love the detail of his breath on them. It's just crazy. Anyway, read the book. Um, And... (laughs) And then he meets them, and then he explains to Lucy what this all means. This is what Aslan says. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read three there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. See, as Lewis was inspired by the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Like Aslan's sacrifice for Edmund, Jesus took upon himself the penalty and curse because of your sin. He willingly went to the cross bearing your sins and facing the wrath that was rightly yours. Just as Aslan's sacrifice led to the breaking of the stone table and his resurrection, Jesus' sacrifice led to his resurrection and the breaking of what? Sin's curse over your life. As a result, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, believers are no longer under the curse of the law, but are guaranteed the blessing and promise of eternal life. And so, Christian, because of Jesus' work on the cross for you, you are no longer bound to the impossible task of achieving perfection through the law. Instead, you can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. 
Christian, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you can enjoy a personal relationship with God without the barriers of sin and without the barriers of guilt and condemnation, knowing that God sees you through the righteousness of Christ. Christian, because of the finished work of Jesus, you are freed from the bondage of legalism. You are not saved by your works, but you are saved by grace through faith, and you can allow Jesus to dwell and work in and through you. Christian, because of the finished work of Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. Your identity is no longer based on your ability to follow the law, but your identity is based on the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. My goodness, this is why the gospel is good news. Jesus has done it all, Jesus has paid it all, and you can rest assured that you are made right and justified and fully loved, fully approved, fully accepted by the God of the universe. Amen to that. My goodness. Wow. And so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this week, I want to encourage you to reflect on the profound depth of God's love for you. Think about it. Christ willingly became a curse to redeem you from the curse of the law. This week, reflect and pray and ask God God, for a deeper understanding of this truth. I challenge you today to kneel before God and plead with him to reignite the joy of your salvation so that God may truly reignite the joy that comes from realizing that you are saved. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to seriously consider the call of Scripture. Christ All that Christ has achieved for you is available and within your reach this morning. Christ has already paid the price. He became the curse so that you don't have to bear it. So my question is, why do you want to remain in this season and this state where you are carrying the weight of trying to earn salvation or find meaning elsewhere when the gift is freely, has been freely offered to you. I plead with you today, if you're here, you're not a Christian, 
plead with you this morning to embrace Christ. Lay down your burdens, lay down your doubts, your fears, and receive the boundless blessings that come from faith in Christ. If you want to talk more about this, I will be available after the service. Some of our leaders are here. Do not leave this these facilities without having conversations about what it means to truly be justified before a holy and gracious God. Let's pray. God, may we look to Christ with the eyes of faith. Thank you for reminding us that it's not by our doing, it's not by our, how we feel or anything that comes from us, but thank you for reminding us that it's simply about looking to Jesus and trusting in Jesus and so, God, I pray that today, this morning, as we sing songs that teach us more about who you are and what you've done, and as we transition from here during lunch on our travels and on Monday and throughout the week, I pray, God, that you would take everything we've explored, you would multiply it, and you would get us to the place where we love you and experience the joy of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.